Hello, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk MedTech, the premier podcast for the medical device and diagnostics industry. My name is Omar Ford, and I'm the managing editor of MDDI. On today's episode of Let's Talk MedTech, we're going to be speaking with Ben Isker. He's the leader of PwC's Health Research Institute. Recently, PwC released their 2020 election report, which includes an analysis of how President-elect Biden's term will impact the healthcare industry. In our discussion with Ben, today we're going to be speaking about COVID-19, ACA and health insurance, as well as deals and consolidation. How will Biden approach these uh, topics? How will he handle them? We're going to be delving into all of this in this fantastic conversation that I know you all will enjoy. So without further ado, here's the discussion. Well, Ben, thanks for joining us today with Let's Talk MedTech. I just want to jump right on into PwC's latest report and talk about, I I just want to talk a little bit about some of the implications for it and and what it will mean going forward, especially when it comes to Biden's administration. And one of the things that kind of stood out to me in the report was this modernization of the FDA. And I was wondering if you could kind of maybe jump into that and talk uh, talk with us a little bit about that and and what that means. Well, I think the modernization of the FDA has actually been going on for a while. And, and certainly we've, we've seen and we've written about this before, you know, uh, during the Obama administration and really through the Trump administration. The one thing the FDA has really focused on is can they speed up the approval process, especially the generic approval process? We've seen some incredible numbers over the years of uh, generic approvals to the point where a lot of people wouldn't realize this, but the you know the U.S. regulatory bo- body is the FDA is is one of the quickest, if not the quickest, to um, get new generics to to market. So that's just one example of you know the the modernization. And and let me give you just one other, just to kind of set the scene a little bit for this kind of new FDA, if you will. Um, you know, the other is around how do you live in this new world where technology and the, digi- the digital movement towards healthcare can often go faster than regulatory processes. And that's something the FDA has al- also had to tackle and, and continue to tackle, which is setting up new risk frameworks of um, a much different a process for approving an app that is there to track your weight and your diet versus um, uh, maybe a a companion app that might be, you know, uh, tracking an implantable device. Obviously, one has uh, a huge amount of risk associated with it and one has much less. And so changing the regulatory framework so it's not one size fits all um, is is really part of that, and I think that's something as well that the FDA, you know, has been doing. I think when we now take that forward to a, a Biden administration, um, I think you're looking at a continuation um, of, of of some of these policies. And the reason I would say that is because there's a lot of good that happens out out, out of that modernization when you're approving things safely and quickly, you can get more competition into the marketplace often, and that can lower costs. When you have a a more sophisticated regulatory framework, again, you can have technology 
actually moving forward and, and not being you know held up by a regulatory process. Interesting. Want to kind of bring COVID nineteen into the conversation with this? How is COVID nineteen kind of? And I know we'll get into the, to the virus a little bit later in our conversation, but want to know how COVID nineteen has kind of ramped up this change in FDA, or, or if it has, uh, or what kind of impact it's had on FDA. Well, I think you know, I, I think there's one obvious uh, data point that that we can look at, and we're, and we're going to be publishing this in a new report that'll be coming out in, in, in mid-December. Um, so I'll just give you some kind of approximate numbers here, but the 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 number of emergency use, use authorizations at, at, back in the spring um, was in the hundreds. I mean, really kind of an all, all-time record in, in modern times. Um, and that was largely authorizing, uh, you know, new COVID tests, some medical countermeasures, um, you know, we're about to probably see some soon around some vaccine emergency use authorizations. So, um, you know, that's that's one of the, the the major effects we can see of the pandemic on our regulatory framework is that, you know, I, I mentioned earlier about keeping up with technology. It, you know, how do you keep up with a virus which can spread so quickly and and trying to keep people safe, but at the same time, trying to get those new innovations and technologies out into the marketplace as quickly as possible. Um, and so I think, you know, what we've seen is an incredible focus, um, you know, from the FDA and, and other agencies uh, solely on, on the pandemic and what we need to get out um, into, the, into the community. Now, one thing it brings up is, can we educate consumers quick enough? And I think that's the question that we're going to now have to wrestle with. Um, and we've already seen some of this when, you know, you get so many different, for example, tests out in the marketplace. How do you explain to consumers and providers and employers and others which kind of test is the right test for a consumer at any given point? What the trade-offs are between different types of tests? And again, I'm just using these COVID tests just as one example of what can happen when you have a pandemic and you're and you're trying to get many different um, treatments, tests, and vaccines, you know, out into the market. You do have to follow that up with um, really good, clear, and concise communication to help consumers out. Um, it's interesting you brought up the EUAs. I don't think. Uh, the mainstream population knew what emergency use authorization was. Um, and I'll that um, the EUA is the new 510K, so to speak, uh, with MedTech, um, because we see so many of them now. Um, but right. moving along this conversation about the virus, um, let's talk a little bit about um, Let's discuss a little bit about Biden and perhaps uh, uh, President-elect Biden's uh, response to this. I mean, he's had experience before, uh, before with uh, potential pandemics. Um, let's let's talk about that. What are some of your what's some of the reports inside on, on that? Well, I think when we look at a Biden administration, so just to, you know, in, in response to the pandemic, I mean, what did the question becomes, what did we do? What's, you know, what was our secret sauce in terms of, of looking at this? So, you know, we, we've spent the last, you know, 
few months, all, almost a year, really looking at what was happening along the campaign trail, statements uh, on the website, public statements, um, you know, obviously watching the debates, trying to get any piece of information that we could. Um, but we also have a little bit of history um, to go on because President-elect Biden is a known quantity. I mean, he was there for the development of the ACA, for example, the passage of the ACA, the implementation. He was there for H1N1. So, you know, there, there are some known quantities, if you will, um, about President-elect Biden. But let's talk about what that may mean for the pandemic and, and what's really the role of, of the presidency in these areas. And so I think one is you've got the role of the, bull, the bully pulpit. So just what are you, you've got the largest microphone in the United States, and some would say the largest microphone in the world. You know, what is it that you say when you're at that microphone? What do you push, um, you know, the, the American people, the health industry, U.S. businesses? What, you know, what do you push and try to align them around? And I think it's pretty obvious that, you know, there's going to be a lot of focus on public health and, and probably even going back to some of the basics of, you know, hand washing and mask wearing and social distancing and those connection points between those basic public health measures and what those outcomes may mean from a more of a science medical perspective. So I would say that's number one. You have you have the ability to communicate and certainly on the campaign trail, we, we saw um, uh, President-elect Biden talking a lot about that. I think the second area you have is around um, organization um, and really, you know, the federal uh, at the federal level, you, you, you have some choices around how much guidance do you want to give to states? How much do you want to let states really develop their own programs? Um, or, you know, or is there something kind of in between there? And I think, uh, you know, one thing that we've heard um, is that in a Biden administration, you know, they want to provide more guidance from a federal level, potentially, you know, more resources as well. And so um, guidance on public health measures, guidance on openings and, and closings and, and how to kind of monitor that. And then, of course, the resources around that for both the health industry um, because there are a lot of costs associated with addressing the pandemic, um, resources for the supply chain and manufacturing. Um, we're kind of hearing stories again about certain in certain geographic areas, sometimes some shortages around PPP, and some of that may be very local. But you know, supply demand, uh, uh, you know, it, it always comes down to the local <laughs> the local position about whether there's an issue or not. So, you know, those are some ideas uh, there. And then I think the third thing is kind of where do you take it in the future? And that's where we see the vaccine development. And there's been a lot of conversations around that lately as some of the some of the numbers are coming out um, uh, uh, terms, in terms of the vaccine efficacy. And, and it's looking like we're going to see some, uh, you know, some potentially some EUAs, some, some of those emergency use authorizations in the next month or two. Um, but the real issue after that for a, a new administration is how do you turn those vaccines into vaccination? So that's around the distribution and supply chain. So I would say those are the big three. You've got communication from the bully pulpit, 
You've got the role of the federal government and the resources and guidance it provides. And then you've got the role in terms of vaccine you know, distribution. Wow, Ben, that's very insightful. Wanted to take just a moment to pause our conversation and talk a little bit about another offering from MDDI called MedTech Unfiltered. And that's a Facebook live show hosted by MDDI's news editor, Amanda Peterson, and it occurs every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. If you love this conversation, you're going to love MedTech Unfiltered. Amanda really gets in there and talks about the topics regarding healthcare, medical devices, and diagnostics, and really gives her flair and her uh, flavor to it. So it's an awesome conversation, awesome discussion. And I know if you like this, you'll definitely love MedTech Unfiltered. Again, it occurs every Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on MDDI's Facebook page. Thanks. And now back to our conversation. Interesting, interesting. Um, I would ask now, um, and, and this might be sort of a trick question, um, are there any leanings toward maybe some of the measures that um, President-elect Biden will take um, now that we have a, a spike um, with, the, with the virus rates in some states? Um, any leanings, um, any insight um, that, that the report provides or that you could provide well, I mean, I don't know if it's a, you know, I don't know if it's a trick question, but it, you know, it's it's a tough one, um, yeah. and I think there's going to be, you know, we we you know, all of our analysis is kind of based on everything, bef- right before the election, um, sure. and 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 certainly we're you know we're we're in a, a a time yet where we haven't you know we're just starting to get some inklings of some announcements of um, you know some uh, team members being named and. Um, you know, what we what we've seen is there are certainly some names that have, um, you know, from experts that were you know part of the uh, helping with the Obama administration, certainly, you know, academics and others that are there. So, I, you know, I guess the best way I could probably answer that question is a little bit of, you know, we don't know yet. Um, you know, we're just not to the level of some of those specifics yet. Um, and, and what we can piece together, what we do know are kind of the big three that I was mentioning before communication and, and resources and, and distribution. Um, and, you know, maybe just with, with some of the, the, the names that we've heard, you know, potentially just some new ways of, of, of looking at best practices, you know, certainly a, a very heavy focus on, I I would say data and, and data analysis and projections. Um, and ultimately, you know, that is, that, that's a gap that we found in the U.S. health system throughout this pandemic mm-hmm. is that we are often as a health industry uh, kind of a bit blind um, and we don't necessarily have great scenario modeling and great projections to really connect up supply demand as well as we would like. Now, I think there's been a lot of response to that. We've seen our academic medical centers, our research institutions, many companies put a foot forward and and now we're doing more accurate projections. But I would just bring up the fact that for those of us, you know, when you're looking at a projection of what's happening with a pandemic on a national level, that's very interesting and important for us as consumers and you know from a federal and, and and state level in terms of you know getting resources but the reality of how people are treated 
is a very local issue. And one of the things that we're looking at now as being a gap is that we actually have to have local health systems that have their own capabilities of making projections and having very robust data analytics capabilities, sometimes using things like you know, future technologies and, and artificial intelligence to make better predictions and projections about where there's going to be more resource need and how they can get the resources there. And so I think that's something I would just keep in mind for all of for all of this and that a Biden administration may have to think about is how do you get that information to the local level so that our um, and so that we can be even more efficient at this. Interesting. Well, I want to turn our attention now a little bit uh, to this part of the report that I found interesting. Um, and that is the idea of consolidation in the healthcare industry, uh, in med tech and diagnostics, and perhaps some of the mega mergers. And wanted you to perhaps talk a little bit about that. I understand a while back, we had some pretty huge um, deals back in 2014 that kind of redefine what mega mergers were in men. Mm -hmm. um, so just wanted to to get an understanding of how the Biden administration uh, would, would handle that. And would they continue the same work that we saw going on in those previous years under the Obama administration when tackling me mega mergers and these super deals in healthcare and med tech? Well, I think that's a great question. And, and let me start by saying, you know, I think there's been a, uh, a, some discussion going on on, a, on an industry level now of will we see deal volume plummet because of the pandemic and because of the economy, or you know, or, or maybe there's a, there are a different pathway. And, and certainly something that we're looking at in our research is the possibility that actually deals may accelerate going forward. And, and there's a couple of reasons for that for the for the payers out there. They may, you know, some of them have more resources than they have before. They, you know, certainly in the spring, um, there was, you know, volume went and utilization went, you know, very low. They weren't paying out as much. They've got more cash on hand. So there's some powder there, right, that, that mm -hmm. they can use for, for deals, for pharma life sciences and, and tech. You know, there's still some opportunities there that are being looked at. We, you know, we shouldn't forget about gene and cell therapies. Um, we shouldn't think, you know, forget about the distribution of vaccines when they become available, and especially, you know, cold chain and and the comp, you know, and the, and the kind of infrastructure that's going to be needed for for those, not just the development which is happening, but the distribution, and then of course the providers um, who some have been struggling with lower volumes and higher technology costs and costs around the pandemic, and and does having a, a, a larger footprint spread out those costs better and make you more viable going forward. So I want to set that as the, I want to set the table a little bit just to say that, um, you know, we may see deals actually pick up, which could be a little bit counterintuitive to what many would have thought. And then I think that brings us in to your question. So if we're still going to see deals out there, will the Biden administration have a different view towards those deals? And, um, you know, I don't have a, you know, a, a perfect answer for that. One of the things that we looked at, of course, is um, will, will a, a Biden administration really take a harder look at deals through the eyes of the consumer? And this has been a question for a while now, and that is, do healthcare deals result in 
more efficiency, better quality, you know, better innovation, mm-hmm. or do healthcare deals often just end up in more market consolidation and higher prices? Or is it a combination of those and it's hard to pick them apart? <laughs> or is it, you know, some do one and some do another? Um, and, and I think either way, you could, I think we would expect a Biden administration to, to you know, really think about that consumer question. Um, and uh, especially, I think, in, in, in the, the health system and provider world of really having that scrutiny on and, and if it's not a scrutiny, at least it's just a litmus test of when all is said and done and the dust settles, what does this mean for the consumers who live in this area? I think you could take that same philosophy and think about other types of deals in med tech and, and others. Will it help competition and innovation and ultimately help the consumer or is it going to have the opposite effect? Mm-hmm. Were there any inklings toward the previous administration, um, uh, the Trump administration, and how this was handled? Just curious, just kind of their view or any insight on that? Well, I think when you saw, you know, when we talk about deals in the you know in the previous administration, I mean, you know, a, a lot of major deals went through, but not all. And mm-hmm. I think one one thing I would just say for companies thinking about deals is that you know you you also have to think about um, the fact that you you may get half a loaf. You know, you you may get to do the deal, but only if you spin off <laughs> or divest of a certain part of your business, and so. We could see, you know, more of that happening in the future. Again, if you wanted to keep a good, strong deal environment and keep, you know, innovation and change happening out in the marketplace, but protect consumers, you could see more specificity around how the deal needs to be done from a regulatory standpoint. Awesome. Now, I understand that our time is growing short, but I want to sneak in one more topic, and I think that our audience would would Definitely love to hear about it. Thoughts on the ACA. Uh, what does Biden do with the ACA? What, where are we at now with it? Um, what do you think the administration will do and what does the report uh, point out? Well, I think what we, what we report out in our analysis is that the ACA is the key to coverage. And um, that has never become, you know, it's, it's become, I should say, it's become much more acute during the pandemic, this issue of coverage. One of the reasons is because of the un- unemployment and the economy. Um, and, you know, our own analysis shows that for every one person that loses their job with employer-based insurance, actually 1.5 people lose insurance because people have their spouse or their partner or their siblings on their health plan. And so if they lose their job, it's not just sometimes it's not just them that's losing the health insurance. And so let's keep that in context. People are losing their, you know, they've lost their jobs. um, They're losing their health insurance. You come back to the ACA is one of the major mechanisms to, to, to keep people insured through those health insurance exchanges, through those Medicaid expansions. About 20 million plus Americans have their health insurance. And so I think in a Biden administration, you know, kind of job one on the coverage front is all about shoring up the ACA. And we're certainly not the first ones to talk about this, but going into those health insurance exchanges, providing more marketing money, making it easier for people to sign up. So you might have 
a longer enrollment periods or special enrollment periods. Um, you might uh, have new conversations with some of those state governors about expanding Medicaid in their states. And the numbers, the financials might work out better than they ever had just because of so many more newly uninsured and the fact that the federal government subsidizes those Medicaid plans so heavily. So I would I would not count the ACA out um, in the coming year or two, um, uh, especially around being the primary mechanism for coverage and to try to reduce some of this tide of uninsured that we're starting to see. Sure, sure. Is it safe to say that COVID-19 has kind of revitalized the conversation or the the need for ACA. I understand that the Affordable Care Act has, has been through a lot over um, you know the, the last few years. So is it? Do you think it's it's going to be strengthened uh, immensely or? Well, I think the pandemic has really it's it's shown the gaps in the system, and and, we, and even though we have obviously you know one of the finest health systems in the world, we still have some gaps and the pandemic has, has shown that and, and coverage can be one of those. And I, you know, I kind of mentioned that when you pair it with the economic conditions, it really shows the importance there. I mean, here's what I would say, regardless of what people think about the ACA, whether it was the right way to, you know, expand insurance and, and change our health system, or I wish it was done a different way. If you're in the health industry, you, you know, it, it is it is what's helping to get you your customers, your consumers, your members. Um, otherwise, health coverage and a lot of health care is inherently unaffordable for the average consumer. And so, you know, whether you love it or not, if you're a health industry leader, it's it's an integral part of your business plan, your business model, um, you know, your projections, how you run your numbers. And it's been that way for a long time. And so what I say about the ACA is I don't think there's a lot of health industry leaders that have a great plan B if it were to go around tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that note, then our time is coming uh, to a close, but I want to thank you for taking time out to speak to us today and always appreciate your insight. Well, it was great to be here. Thanks for having me. Sure. No problem. Thanks.